Welcome to the Addy Hour, where we talk brain science, mental health, faith, culture, and social justice. Having attended one of Dr. Addy's town halls, I can tell you that it's vital information for anyone living in America right now. It was the first time in a very, very long time where I felt like all of me could show up, each parts of my identity. I'm your host, Dr. Nee Addy. My friend, Dr. Nee Addy, is such a unique person who is both scientifically astute, understands the human soul and the mind. At the same time, he has compassion and empathy for the masses. He's been nothing but a blessing to my congregations and my friends. It was the first time I felt like it was safe to talk about issues that are usually not talked about, like mental health and faith and wrestling with your identity. By the end, I walked out feeling so much more validated and hopeful. Well, welcome to another episode of the Addy Hour. I'm actually really loving the topic that we're going to be talking about today, self-care, vulnerability, and real talk with Tara Schuster. And I think this is a topic that's really salient and important for all of us. I know definitely for me with everything uh, that I have going on with the challenges that come on a daily basis, I think for all of us as a society, this is just something that's really important and relevant to all of us. So I'm honored to be able to welcome Tara on the program today. For any who, do, who don't know her, I'm gonna give you just a little bit of an introduction. Um, Tara is a best-selling author and playwright. She's also an accomplished and seasoned entertainment executive. She served as a vice president of talent and development at Comedy Central, where she was the executive in charge of two Emmy-winning shows, Key and Peele and At Midnight. In 2020, she also released a book, Buy Yourself the Effing Lilies, which debuted at number one in humor essays and self-help on Audible and Kindle, and was also considered by many magazines as one of the best new books in 2020. So again, I'm deeply honored to be able to welcome Tara Schuster to the program today. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Dr. Adi. I'm, I'm thrilled to have this conversation with you. Well, definitely looking forward to it. And just knowing your work and the, the conversations that you've had over the years, your book, your upcoming book as well, I think this is just going to be a, a great conversation and topic a lot of our listeners will really be able to engage with as well. Um, so as you know, as our listeners know, I always like to start with a check-in. So just wanted to start there and just see how you're doing these days in the midst of everything uh, that we're all doing with as a society and just the things that you're even, you know, walking through in your, in your personal life as well. Yeah, it's a lot of ups and downs. <laughs> I can't lie. Yeah. You know, and I, I would honestly question anybody who's not feeling some amount of ups and downs and you know, my hope and my own growth is to find equanimity at some point, but I don't got that at this exact <laughs> moment. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that said, I am finding myself um, better and better able not to be trapped in my own thought loops and mm. stories and anxieties mm. and, and by becoming better at accepting them, accepting that they are just what is happening and that mm. that's not bad. It doesn't make me bad. It doesn't make all my healing all for not like it's not some catastrophe. It just kind of is. 
the more and more I get comfortable with that, the easier and easier it is to loosen the grip. And then all of a sudden I'm not in some like anxiety spiral. Mm -hmm. So I'd say ups and downs, but overall actually a lot more resilient to the different moods my brain and emotions can fling me into. And Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, mixed bag. Yeah. I I appreciate that honesty. And I I think it's interesting that you put those two together too, because you talked about, you know, the honesty of accepting that they're there, but then also still trying to build resilience at the same time. So it's not like you're just Mm -hmm. accepting and saying, oh, well, that's just just the way it is. And right. That can be done about it. What what I find is if I if I don't accept it, if I resist it, then I really suffer. Mm. Then it then it has a texture of something like really that's pulling me under. But when I just say, oh, it is what it is, and that's not my entire life, that's mm-hmm. just this one little slice. Um, that has become a richer and richer way to just calm down because the circumstances outside are crazy. Like even, even though the pandemic seems to be, you know, in a better place than it was, like, what does that even mean? A better place in a global pandemic Mm. of death and destruction? Like this is kind of a worst case scenario. So, you know, um, just trying to be a little, cut myself a little slack for the fact that I'm not a hundred percent every single day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that seems so healthy in a lot of ways. And I mean, you put it in great perspective too. I mean, the pandemic is still going on. It's better, but it's not as if we're completely. Out. Yeah. So there's still, yeah. Like it's good for a global pandemic. Yeah. Like that's not a real phrase. Like when would you have ever said that before? Like, Oh, I'm doing good for being in a global pandemic. Yeah. yeah. Like that's crazy. Yeah. But yeah, at the same time where I know I'm talking like that, a lot of us, we're just all yeah. talking that way. So it's just kind of the reality. Yeah. The moment too. And I think, you know, within the pandemic, even this idea that you've talked about, about acceptance, it seems like there's a lot more acceptance of how anxiety provoking this has been across the yeah. board. I mean, other situations I've said, in some ways, we've almost gone through a global trauma yeah. just in terms of not knowing exactly how things would play out and all the anxiety that comes with that. So I think for a lot of people who may not have been able to relate as well to anxiety beforehand, this became somewhat of an equalizer. I mean, oh, yeah. understand because it also heightened some of the disparities were already there, but right. in the sense that, you know, globally, we were kind of dealing with this uncertainty, anxiety. I think that's been huge for us as a society. Um, but even with the, you know, the idea of acceptance, why do you think, even though maybe it's easier for people to accept now, why do you think it's just so difficult for us to accept when things are actually challenging? I mean, it seems like it's taboo. We can't talk about it. We pretend that right. it's fine. Like we're, yeah, what, it's what's a going fun- on there? It's a funny thing. And it's something I'm writing about, you know, like when you're in line at a grocery store and there's like a woman behind you and she's in tears, completely upset. And you're like, are you okay? And she's like, I'm fine. You're like, I'm pretty sure you're not fine. (laughs) And like, it's pretty weird that our gut reaction is just deny, deny, deny. I'm fine. Distance from this. And I think there are a couple of things going on. I think on the societal level, Um, you know, and I, particularly in America, we have this individual, the lone individual who's like going to do it on their own. And and we sell ourselves that myth and we're supposed to be so strong and never ask for help. And then, you know, I, my book is half memoir, half self-help. And I remember when I was talking to the marketing people and they told me, well, it's going to be in the self-help category. I was like, ew, 
I don't want to be a self-help writer. Like that's so cheesy and gross and terrible and lame. And I really had to check myself. Mm. Why is it bad Mm. to help yourself? Yeah. Like the people who have the power to pick up a self-help book should be lauded. Like those are the powerful, strong people Mm -hmm. who are taking a step back and saying, I have an issue and I'm strong enough to deal with it. So I I think we're fed a bunch of lies Mm -hmm. about our, how we need to do things alone. I think that's one part. And I, and then the other part I think is we use terms like I'm fine, I'm okay when we're genuinely not so that we can distance ourselves from what's real. Like it's a, I think a defense mechanism a lot of the time um, to reject the reality, reject the pain. I'm fine moving on. I don't want to talk about it. And it also gives everyone in our lives cover because then they don't have to be intimate with our problems either. We can, Mm -hmm. and and then they don't have to face their own issues that our issues might kick up yeah and it just puts us all in a terrible position because then everybody's lying (laughs) like nothing is true and people feel like they can't reach out and ask for help because they don't think anybody else is experiencing what they're experiencing because what we're fed is that we should all just be fine Yeah. yeah so that's sort of my take on why we default to I'm fine, which also, yeah. by the way, is so lame. Like, I don't want to live my life as fine. True. It's so sad. Yeah. Like, I want to feel something. That. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That's so important. I think, you know, like you said, it just leaves, I mean, it leaves a stigma in place too. Um, some of our earlier episodes, we were talking with an NFL player and he was saying some of the same types of things in terms of nobody wanting to talk about it, everybody going through it themselves. But once you get everyone in the room actually talking about it, then they're all like realizing that they're all dealing with the same thing. They thought they were the only one. Then so you yeah. get this collective group theory therapy type of moment where people can actually walk through things together and actually and learn from each other. So I think that's so, totally. so important. And I think we're kind of in a societal group therapy moment, mm. you know, that, and, and, uh, you know, there's great disparities about what kinds of suffering and mm. what disadvantages people have. And, you know, there's a lot packed in with, within that, but if you are a human on planet earth currently, our current circumstances are not ideal. Mm. So to add some, to some extent, everybody is kind of being confronted with this. And, and I think, mm-hmm. you know, even having publicly athletes, um, like, um, the football player you mentioned, or, you know, this week, um, uh, um, the tennis player mm-hmm. in the French open dropping out for yeah. her own mental health, like yeah. having examples of people saying like, Hey, wait, my mental health is my priority without mm-hmm. that. There's nothing else. I mean, this wouldn't have happened two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. You know, exactly right people were not this open. So I think it might be an unintended good consequence of the pandemic is just, it ripped off so much of the artifice and mm-hmm. so much of the, like, everything is fine. We just, you know, patchworked over this whole thing and doesn't it look nice? And it's like, no, yeah. it doesn't. It's yeah. the insides are rotten. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I mean, I noticed even the timing of your book release too. I mean, I'm sure you weren't predicting that and potentially <laughs> planning to release a book during the pandemic, but how do you think that affected, like how it was received? Do you think there was yeah. a tie in there? Um, I 100%. I mean, you know, obviously you work so hard on a book, you know, in some ways that book took me 30 years to write, mm-hmm. you know, it, it took three dedicated 
years, but 30 of thinking about the book. And I was supposed to go on like a big book tour and bought a dress to wear. And like that dress is still sitting in my closet a year and a half later. Like who knows when I'm going to wear that dress. So that was different. That was an adjustment and that had its own amount of grief um, for me because it wasn't how I pictured things going and it wasn't what I expected. And the book coming out in the pandemic was the perfect time for this exact message because people desperately needed some, when with so much structure taken out of their lives, Mm -hmm. it was actually the perfect time to build in some good habits and everything in my book, you know, my book is about self-care and how to bring small rituals into your life that help you enjoy your life and be present for it. Um, People had time to try these things, you know, even if you, you know, for example, if you weren't commuting to the office anymore, Mm -hmm. that meant you had 20 minutes to journal. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and because everything in my book is free or super low cost, there were also just no barriers to entry there. Um, and it helped that the book was sold in target. So while you were like grabbing all your toilet paper and beans, (laughs) you could pick up this pretty book with a, you know, flowers on it. Yeah. (laughs) And, and so in this really messed up way, it was the perfect time for this book to come out. And I think I probably reached a much broader audience Mm -hmm. than I otherwise would have. And I don't, I'm not happy that, you know, it was released it. Like I don't, I'm not like the kind of person who needs to look for silver linings and everything. I just think both things are true. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it was, sad that it happened in a way that I didn't expect and amazing and wonderful. And I've been able to connect with so many people and hopefully uh, be helpful in a time where I would really want to be helpful. Like Mm -hmm. this is the time to serve your community. If, if not now, then when, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So important. So, I mean, the investment I think is so worthwhile for so many people. Um, And even, you know, as you're talking through this, through this, I'm just curious to you about how you even got yourself to that place of putting a book together, especially with your initial kind of reaction to the whole <laughs> self-care mode. And that's yeah. again to a place of, I mean, the way you're talking now, really wanting to invest in people and in the community and kind of empower people. Like how did that transition happen? Yeah. Um, so I guess for me, I never set out to write a book. Like that was not on my mind. I set out to save my life. Mm-hmm. Um, the origins of the book were, I grew up in a neglectful, psychologically abusive household where things came to die. Mm. You know, my first memory is of a family of deer dying in our lap pool and me seeing their waterlogged carcasses on a blue tarp. You know, I was like probably five. And it was just an unsafe place to grow up. Chaos, constant screaming from my parents. Um, and I didn't have any role models of like, no one was taking care of me. They weren't taking care of them. There, there was just no thought that maybe it would be important to take care of yourself. Um, so I really used external achievement as a way to get myself out of that house. Mm -hmm. You know, I was the teacher's pet doing the extra credit, extracurricular literary magazine ap's award 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 you know hustle 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 this will this will save me like work will save me um and in a funny way it kind of did because it got me 
uh, to Brown, you know, which was like a fancy Ivy League school that put like a nice stamp on me, mm-hmm. which helped me get my first entry level job at Comedy Central. And I just kept hustling and working mm-hmm. and going and because that's all I knew how to do. Right. But in the inside, I was utterly imploding. I was living in a permanent panic attack where my um, jaw would clench down so hard that like I understood what the term gnashing of teeth wow. meant like co- it created like a chronic migraine which mm. then I had to take other medication for right. yeah. um, and then I would self-medicate with weed and booze and boys and just trying to distract because I had no interior life. Like there was no, there was no there, there. I didn't know who I was. I was lost. Um, and I might've kept just going that way. Had I not hit rock bottom on my 25th birthday, when I drunk dialed my therapist and threatened to hurt myself. Mm. And for me that morning, the morning after when I was listening to voicemails from her and kind of piecing together oh my God, you know, I'm in trouble. Like Mm -hmm. I could have killed myself. Mm -hmm. Like my therapist, who was like a very rational, calm, you know, vaguely European woman who always Mm. just had on a scarf and a little cup of tea, like she was worried. Mm. And that was the first time I got worried. Mm. So that morning I just decided, okay, I don't have parents. I, I don't have like a wise mentor to go to, but I do have my hustle. Like mm-hmm. I do have this thing in me mm-hmm. that's always trying to achieve. So what if I made a Google doc of how to reparent myself? Like what if I tried? Mm-hmm. Like, and I, I, I just wrote in the Google doc, it started with just questions I had, like what are values? What are principles? What are vegetables? Like, genuinely like what vegetable should I be eating right now? What is quinoa? Is that a vegetable? The answer is no. Um, like, so it was, (laughs) it's an ancient grain. Um, so it, it was really even that basic, Mm. like, do I need to be drinking water? Yes. Like, (laughs) should, like would making my bed be a good idea? Hell yes. Like very basic things like that, mm-hmm. but then much bigger things like confronting why I'm, why am I in the same romantic relationship over and over and over again? And why am I so comfortable when other people make me feel uncomfortable or make mm-hmm. me feel small? Like, why is that so familiar? And so I did this for five years. Oh. And at the end of five years, I had a 600 page Google document. I felt like a completely different person. I felt stable, you know, I wasn't self-medicating. I wasn't running away from my life. I was living it. Mm-hmm. And that's when I decided I have an offering. I, I have something to share with other people. I wish someone had shared their journey with me. That would have been helpful. And as I wrote that book and I, I realized, oh, I have all these like tricks too. Mm-hmm. Like, cause just from my Google doc, I would have like a list. Like I started listing what makes me feel good. Like I I really started noticing this is what makes me feel good. And these are the questions that help me in my journal. And, you know, um, this is how exercising affects my body and my brain. So I just had all of these lists Mm -hmm. um, that I thought might be helpful to somebody else. And so they just were, became a part of the stories to Mm -hmm. me. And once I realized it was useful, 
Um, then I kind of got over my initial, oh, I don't want to be a self-help writer. Cause I'm like, wait, why? Every author who's ever lived, if their book made you feel less alone, was a self-help author in yep. some way. They reached out your hand mm-hmm. and said, you belong and they do it in their own way. And mm. I just wanted to be more explicit um, because I would have appreciated if someone had been more explicit with me. So that's yeah. sort of, I just wanted to be of use and of service. So that's how yeah. I got over the sort of my initial disdain of self-help. Right. Well, I appreciate and, you. Yeah. Us. Yeah. Through that journey. I mean, there's, there's yeah. so much there too. Um, yeah. And I'm just impressed by the level of introspection that you had too, to be able to, and diligence to go through that process. Because I think a lot of us would have just gotten tired of that process to be completely <laughs> honest and been like, oh, I can't do this anymore. So the fact that you were able to kind of keep going, I mean, it sounds like you were seeing, were, would you say you were seeing things change along the way or was it oh, a yeah. specific moment? The, all, every step was like a brand new life was mm. being born. And I, I really want to be clear that I wasn't pumped to do this. Mm. I wasn't like, yay, this is going to be so fun and not hard. I mean, there were many times where I was just like, why, why do I have to work so hard at mm. this? Like, why do I, everybody else, like, this is when I get really self pity, mm. which I definitely have in me. I'm like, why does everybody else just get to live their life? And like, here I am with this stupid Google document, mm. like charting how many drinks of alcohol work for me. Like, why am I even doing this? Mm. And why I was even doing this was I wanted to be healthy. Yeah. You know, at the bottom of everything, it was like, well, it was for my own health. Mm-hmm. And so I just kept going. And I think the thing I was born with that, you know, if you believe in God or the universe or whatever, is I was born with a soul that wanted to be healthy. Mm-hmm. And I don't really have to feed it much more than that. Like it just wants Mm. to be healthy. It just wants to be free. Mm. And so when I get tired of this stuff, I just lean back on the truth of me, which is Mm. I want to be liberated. I want to, I want to be healthy and let that energy carry me. Yeah. Wow. That's so powerful. Was that too woo woo? Did I just go way over? That was definitely good. And I I appreciate you uh, talking about the struggle too, because I feel like that's, you know, that's half of it. It like it doesn't help us when we only hear about the victory on the other side. But to know that oh, like you no. were like, this is not exciting, it's painful, no. but I've got oh. to do it. And like you had this internal God-given yeah. drive to just keep going. I, I mean, the whole preface to my second book, which I'm working on right now, and it will be way cut down, but is a greatest hits of my complaints about why do I have to do this? It yeah. I've it's never been like oh, this is easy and so Mm -hmm. fun. Like if you're listening to this, you're like, man, it's a struggle to face my life as it really is and heal myself. You are correct. Yeah. It is a struggle and it is really hard and you can bear it because you already are. Whatever you've been through is already dealing with you. So it's just an opportunity that you can choose your reaction. Mm -hmm. It's just like a, a slight shift, like, it's a different kind of suffering. It's mm-hmm. a suffering I enjoy more. Yeah. <laughs> I guess yeah. So <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. I mean, in some ways, you know, as you're talking to, it seems like there's parallels too, to the way that you approached your work before that too. Cause I mean, you basically stayed on your grind. You made sure you, you knew what you had to do. You did it. But with this, it's the same type of thing. And we don't always think about it that way when we're dealing yeah. with emotional challenges. Sometimes it's easy to just feel like, oh, I wish this was just fixed, even though we know like 
deep down, I think we know we still got to put in that work, but just doesn't come naturally. You're exactly right. It's, you know, when we have a work project and we're like, I need to do this, you know, we think about it rationally, like goal, like here's the small goal and this, and it'll lead to this. And that's how I'll achieve this. Mm -hmm. But then take a thing like generosity. Like I want to be more generous. We just are like, and magically that will happen somehow. Or or, I want to have a better relationship with my mom. And magically like, and time will do that. No, it's not time. It's work. Just like every other thing in life, it's work. We can all do work. So we can all, we can all achieve this. And that is the message of my book is there is no special reason that I should have been able to reparent myself. I'm not, I'm not, I'm special in certain ways. That's Mm -hmm. not how how I'm special. Mm -hmm. It was just sticking to doing work and having a little, uh, a little faith that I was worth it and that Mm -hmm. I could do it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so good. I mean, and you're reaping the benefits and then helping so many people at the same time. I mean, I again, so. like it's such a process, it sounds like to get there. So I even heard you talk about, you know, ways that you felt like you're really good at work, but bad at life. Yeah. Uh, you had to really like come to terms with that. Yeah. Um, and again, it goes back to that, that whole idea of just being honest with ourselves and be like, okay, this aspect of life needs work and I can't just leave it and expect it to all of a sudden fix itself. It's honesty and self-awareness. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are the keys to having a life that doesn't feel like it's happening to you. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, and it takes a lot to, to look at yourself and all of your flaws and say like, well, this just is really me, mm-hmm. you know, but I, what I've found is in, a, you know, and getting back to acceptance, just accepting that gives me so many options. Mm-hmm. I have options now to change if I want to. And there are some things about me I don't want to change. Like Mm -hmm. I'm an extremely trusting person, Mm -hmm. often to my own detriment. Mm -hmm. I don't want to change that about Mm me. Like I like that. I like that because it opens me up to a lot of possibility and it's Mm -hmm. painful because, you know, that's a living with your heart on your shoulders just can be a little painful. Yeah. And I can handle that. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what I, I I'm I'm doing it currently. Yeah. So so I do think it's that honest accounting of where we really are and being self-aware enough to know and I can change this with some work. Like yeah. it's not just gonna magically hit me one day. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so well said. I'm also curious because there's so many topics I feel like resonate with a lot of people, just how people have responded to the book itself. Cause one of the pieces that I feel like you've highlighted really well is just how how easy it is to be dismissive mm. of any challenges and just to think, well, so-and-so has it worse than me, which could be yeah. true. It's often true. And then kind of look back at ourselves and be like, Oh, I shouldn't be struggling. Cause I mean, I've seen that a lot during the pandemic, like any right. specific individual that I talk to, whatever their circumstance is, they feel bad that they're struggling because they can pick out someone else who's doing worse. And they feel like, well, I shouldn't be struggling. Right. And they are struggling, so they can't get as much done or they're struggling in a certain area and they feel anxious and depressed because they can't move right. through that. Maybe not clinical depression per se, but that loophole right. definitely starts to kick in pretty early. So totally. I'm, I'm curious if you have people talked with you about that as they've been reading through your books, are there ways that you've tried to even move past that kind of reaction in your own life? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, and you're hitting on, I think, one of the biggest things that I've found. Because um, for so long, I didn't want to heal because... I didn't have it that bad. Mm. I should be better. And I'm doing massive air quotes. 
And what I kind of realized was that was not beneficial for people for other people who mm-hmm. perhaps were suffering more for me, like me minimizing my experience, it didn't help them. Mm-hmm. And it certainly wasn't helping me. So just who in the world was I dismissing myself for? Mm-hmm. And once I kind of like saw that kind of clearly, I realized this isn't helpful. This isn't productive. I got to reframe this. And um, the writer, Lori Gottlieb, who wrote, maybe you should talk to someone. And she's one of my absolute favorite writers, thinkers, everything. She talks about in her book, this theory of um, there's no hierarchy of pain. Mm. There really isn't. Nobody's pain is any more valid than anyone else's because it's real. Mm -hmm. Like, like you can, like you're talking about your friends or someone who they're denying their own suffering because it's not a worst case scenario. That doesn't mean it isn't still painful yeah. for them and that that isn't their absolute reality. And so, again, if we deny what is real, then we can't deal with anything. Mm-hmm. So, the I, I often ask myself, what would the wisest version of me, how, how would the wisest version of me handle this situation? I call it future Tara. Mm-hmm. Like what, 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 how would future Tara handle nice. this? You know, cause I don't have all this wisdom now, mm-hmm. What like in the future, maybe. So like, mm-hmm. how would she deal with this? And often it's, I wouldn't dismiss myself. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't call myself stupid and silly. I wouldn't demean myself. Mm-hmm. I would look at the actual circumstances and try to help myself, Mm. try to resource myself and deal with them so that they did not deal with me. Mm -hmm. And so readers have really picked up on this and they've talked a lot about feeling like they didn't have the quote unquote worst childhood ever. Mm. And that because it wasn't, you know, on the news level bad, they never dealt with it. But now they see that it's dealing with them and that they have to go back and and do some work and confront these things that they actually are confronting every single day. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I've really seen that people kind of being um, pausing in denying their actual experience. Yeah, well, I think that's great just to get to get people to realize that because that's that's half I don't sound like G.I. Joe, half the battle, but now also showing my age. <laughs> no, it, it is. And it's also but. like people still having trouble with it. Like it's also condescending to think mm. of other people as much, much worse. Mm-hmm. Like who are you to even like the whole thing is so backwards and weird that it's like better if you can just however you need to move off of it. Just like let's just move off of that idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And even the way that you're, I mean, the way that you're inspiring so many people too. I mean, another topic that we talk about a lot, and I know we talked about this, you know, offline before too, just that whole balance between helping yourself versus helping other people. Yeah. And just the danger of ignoring our own challenges and trying to help other people. I mean, that's also come up in other podcasts uh, before with other psychologists that have come on, you know, as us being healers, the healers can't help heal if they're not going through that healing process too. So how, how do you balance that? in your own life. I mean, with this explosion of of support that you're giving while, you know, you still have your own life to kind of walk through too. It's been, um, an unexpected little bit of an adjustment because I don't, cause I'm still in process. Like, Mm -hmm. and the, the thing about my, my book and my writing is like, I don't know all the answers. I'm not an expert. Like I don't have a single degree in any of the things I'm talking about what I am is a little sponge. 
like I just sponge in everything I can learn. And then I try to apply it in a real way that I, I think is relatable to other people. Cause I can really break it down. Yeah. So that's what I am. I'm not the one who did the research. I'm not the one who like has your degree and, and is at Yale. Um, so what I've really had, so, so I've really had to kind of say to myself is, and I don't know, I'm, I'm trying to still really figure it out is mm-hmm. how can I be the most helpful I know what feels the best. Mm. The The best feelings I have are when I'm writing the book, like when I'm really, really trying to be honest and the work connects with people. Mm-hmm. I like when I speak to a bigger crowd, um, that feels really good. I like when I talk one-on-one with somebody, if I just like meet them, mm-hmm. but constantly being in my dms or replying to every single email even though these messages are utterly beautiful yeah. you know and even though people are gracing me with the hardest moments of their lives mm-hmm. if i do every single one i can't write i can't go speak to a bigger group i so i myself because i'm so I, cr- I crave connection mm. given that I had none growing up, you know, and I, I felt so alone. Mm. Like one of my driving forces is a, f- a feeling of connection. And so I'm having to figure out how do I connect? How do I help in a way that I'm not completely depleted and so that I can continue the work. Yeah. yeah. So it's really like an open question. I, I, I don't know the answer. Um, I, Gen, I have no idea. I'm just still trying to kind of figure it yeah. out for myself. It's a process and a journey. I mean, if I'm being yeah. completely honest, I feel like I'm on that journey in some ways too. And I mean, you must be in particular, because right? we talked a little mm-hmm. offline too about how even in your in your profession, like mm-hmm. professionally, your job is to help, but then does it become everyone coming to you to mm-hmm. kind of like fix or, you know, explain to them what's going on. And does that feel like such a response? Like I could imagine that feeling both like an honor, you know, mm-hmm. this person has come to me, but also wait, wait, wait. Like I need to maintain some boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think even for me, it's something I'm still walking through and figuring out on a day-to-day basis. Um, because yeah. like you said, each of those, conversations can be so personal and touching and, and empowering in a sense too, but then knowing how much to engage in those versus, you know, there's a lab research that we do. There's this podcast, obviously. Right. And so, you know, I still have to eat and sleep. So like, how do you balance that and not spread yourself so thin that you become completely ineffective for everyone? So, I mean, I appreciate the way you're sharing that. And I'd say a lot of ways, you know, I wouldn't say I've arrived in that place, but some of it's just having, folks who can look into and kind of watch and say, okay, I, I think you're getting a little bit spread thin here. Is there anything oh, that's, to pull back on? That's interesting. Who, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Who, <laughs> flip the script. Who, yeah. I got to flip the script for the second. Who in your life asks you that question? Like, Hey, are you spread too thin? Yeah. So I'd say some of it is just like going to people in faith communities. So a pastor mm. that I'm pretty close with who has basically been in this journey, we did an event together back in 2019 called God, Mental Health and Wellness in New York City. Mm. And so having him just kind of interject and check in and see how things are going, opportunities, and just, you know, sometimes not even having to ask the question, but knowing me well enough to be able to kind of sense and ask questions that will get me to that place. Yeah. Um, and then sometimes, to be honest, it's just uh, 
even just acquaintances or, or not even acquaintances, but colleagues that I know really well, when we sit down and talk about all the different initiatives that are going on in the research, I'm also doing a lot of work around diversity, equity, inclusion, anti-racism. Mm-hmm. There's a podcast, there's informal mentoring. So people are asking, are you taking, I mean, someone asked me last week, are you taking enough time for yourself? Like, what was you your answer? Setting back. I said, it's a strategic process. Some days are better than others. And then, you know, you balance yeah. in, I mean, I'm, I have, I'm married, I have kids as well. So you put all that in the mix. So to yeah. be honest, like to me, when someone asks that kind of point of question, it's challenging, frustrating and refreshing all mm. the same time. Because that, that's really when I have the opportunity to, to check myself and say, yeah. well, is this actually true? Or right. am I getting to a point where this is just not sustainable? So. Well, it's so important to have people in your life who like truly know you in in that way to even ask the question and that they're not afraid to ask, like, Mm -hmm. is this too much? Um, I often silence those people. Mm. You know, they, I have a couple of people in my life who are like, Mm -hmm. you're doing what now and what now and what now? Is that too much? I'm like, ah, (laughs) I can handle it. Like, don't put me down. Um, But when I can be not defensive Mm -hmm. and not a jerk, and hear the question, it's always, yeah, you're doing way too much. <laughs> like you need, you need to find a middle gear mm-hmm. and I accept that, except mm-hmm. I'm, this is a place where I'm processing and trying to figure out like, what's my middle gear. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you asking honestly and asking the question too. Yeah. I was going to get there, but you made me pulled out even more than I probably would have. <laughs> so you're very skilled in that sense. <laughs> my trick. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I think, I think it's so, so important in a lot of ways because it's so easy for us to just, in several ways, just, just spread too thin and not be about almost like we're being about too much at once. And yeah. then, you know, I've talked to some, uh, some people just in terms of even just uh, professionally people saying, well, you know, you're going to have to say no sometimes and you're going to feel guilty about that, Yeah. but you actually just kind of have to deal with it oh, I'm so bad at that. and just think about where your priorities are. So I think that's well, another place that it takes some time to get there. And I think the pandemic has kind of hastened the idea that we need to stick to our priorities. Mm. You know, I think a lot of people, what they saw is, you know, maybe going to like 50 weddings and constantly out of town and mm-hmm. work, 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 wasn't making me happy. Mm-hmm. And was it like weird own priority and Mm -hmm. isn't actually in line with what my real priorities are. Mm -hmm. Or for a lot of people, it was the first time they asked themselves, what are my priorities? Yeah. Yeah. What are they even? And I really hope that coming out of the pandemic, we can retain some sense of our priorities of who we are and how Mm -hmm. we want, how we want to carry ourselves in the world. Mm -hmm. And then follow through. So, you know, I remember before the pandemic, like always being on a work trip, complaining to my friends about how much I had to travel. And now I look back, I'm like, what a jerk. Mm. Like wasn't even looking at it as the gratitude for, wow, I get to go to cool places, was so jaded Mm. that I'm like complaining. And who did that benefit? Because I wasn't enjoying it. Mm. And the people I was like flying to their bachelorette in Tulum or whatever, you know, whatever the detail was, <laughs> you know, people know when you don't want to be somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like you're yeah. fooling everybody. Like yeah. we all, we're all smart. <laughs> like mm. we know. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, the, the woman who you're like, have grudgingly agreed to go to lunch with, like, as you check your watch, she doesn't feel like seen. Mm -hmm. So, you know, even with things like people are starting to ask, like, can you go to coffee again? Like, you know, I'm vaccinated, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, other fully vaccinated people. And I'm like, do I really want to go to coffee? Cause I don't think I do. Mm -hmm. So now what? You know, I'm really like, I'm just in real time saying my my issues right now. Yeah. So, I mean, in some ways it sounds like you're, like you're reprioritizing too. I think a lot of people have done that, especially the way you talked about your trips too. Yeah, definitely. I have to do this, I have to do this. And I know you've talked about that before too, shifting to, I get to do this. And yeah, I mean, I think for even me personally, a lot of us, those trips now feel like a luxury. Like, oh, Oh. wow, if I were going to do that right now, just a whole different perspective on things i'm kind of scared to be honest yeah, like i have i haven't flown yet i haven't i don't have any real like big trips planned i'm and i used to travel all of the time and i mm-hmm. love traveling um and now i'm just kind of scared i'm scared of my life getting out of control mm. i don't want to ever go back to the place where i wasn't prioritizing the things that really matter to me Mm -hmm. and the pandemic, I was fortunate to be in a situation where I got to focus on the things that mattered to Mm me. And it's almost like a drug addict, you know, and like, I'm seeing like, and now I'm in the room again with all the things that used to, you know, Mm -hmm. get me high or whatever. And for me, it's like travel distraction, constant plans, Mm -hmm. planning, doing, those are my, Mm -hmm. um, that's my drug of choice. And so I'm a little afraid. Like I'm actually a little afraid. Yeah. How, how are you going to re-engage? I mean, do you have between that and just like your daily self-care, like how, how do you plan to step back yeah. into the world? Or is that still a process you're figuring out? I think it's saying no more, like doing a lot less, mm-hmm. doing the things I actually want to do mm-hmm. um, and baby stepping you know, I'm going to take my first trip, um, with two of my best friends. We're going to do a one overnight, one night overnight mm-hmm. by the beach yeah. this weekend. You know, that feels like a good small, yeah. start small, start incrementally. Remember the big picture, which is, I don't want to over plan again. Mm-hmm. I, I don't need to distract myself from my life. Not everything has to be an achievement. Mm-hmm. And even working it into my everyday schedule so that I have more breaks, you know, even when I'm writing that I write by timing myself. Mm -hmm. So I have like a timer and I, when the timer goes off after an hour, I'm free. And I, so then I get up, I dance to one song and then I sit back down. It's my second hour, Mm -hmm. but it's that little break you know, that little time to enjoy Mm -hmm. and not to produce and not make anything. Yeah. So I'm trying to, I'm really trying to bake into my life, the habits of what Mm -hmm. my actual priorities are, Mm -hmm. as opposed to um, just get back into the swing of things as soon as I possibly can. Right. Right. Yeah. I appreciate you kind of walking us through that in real time. And I think that's so, I mean, I love the, just the, the incremental steps and just kind of re-engaging. I mean, in a lot of ways, like everything you're talking about is self-care too. And yeah. thinking ahead. I mean, in some ways, when you were talking about future Tara, it's like you're anticipating what you'll learn and trying to teach that to yourself now to use yeah. that to kind of continue to move forward, which I think is great. 
or to, I, I think it's really to give future Tara the resources she needs. Cause I'm not smart enough. I don't know. I don't know like what she's going to learn. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not a fortune teller, but like, I can feel out what resources that person I might want to be needs. Mm-hmm. And, and I can give her that I can make choices today, you know, and that is self-care because mm-hmm. that's everything. That's like, yeah. so I can go for a run. You know, I don't know. Ultimately, am I going to lose a little weight? Am I not? I don't know. But I can go on this run. Mm-hmm. That's how I eat. You know, what's this all going to mean in the future? I don't know. But I can eat more fruits and vegetables. Mm-hmm. Like I definitely can do that. And it's even like very practical things like um, around fertility. Like I just went through an egg retrieval process, which was a whole other topic. Mm-hmm. But I definitely did that for the future version mm-hmm. of myself to have more options. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think one really good self-care tip is thinking about what will you want to be possible for yourself in the future mm-hmm. and what resources can you give that version of yourself today? Because then you'll be- yeah, you, you benefit from that in the present yeah. and you benefit from that in the future. Yeah, that's so good. I really love that perspective and just the way that you're carrying that out on a daily basis yeah. in a lot of ways. And the, I mean, the way you're sharing that with us too. So definitely towards Thank that talk piece on that note, I'm curious just even about, and you've talked about this story, but just legacy, like what mm. are you trying? I know it's a, sometimes we don't think about that at a younger age, but I think, you know, just with the type of work you're, you're doing, I'm just curious if that's something that you've thought through and what, what you're trying to, uh, to leave for others in a sense. Yeah. I, oddly try to think about it every day. Mm. And I don't use the word legacy, but I do think about when I'm dead and it's my funeral, what do I want said about me? Mm. Like what, what's the impact I wanted to have on other people's lives? And am I living in accordance with that? Mm. And I think the most important thing is I, I want to be remembered as somebody who saw other people who made other people feel like they belonged Mm who made other people feel less lonely and who really thought and held other people, mm. you know, and that would be a life well lived is if I was a thoughtful passenger here. Mm. And, and, and so it's definitely, that's like the big one. And then the second thing I think about is I want to show gratitude for the fact that I ever got to live mm. by enjoying this time mm. and not making it like a constant struggle and a crisis to go endure, but really luxuriating in the details of a sunny day in Los Angeles mm. where I got to take a run and feel sweat on my body. And mm. I got to talk to you, Dr. Addy, and that is actually magical. Mm. Like that's lucky. That's cool my act of gratitude Mm. is to actually enjoy it and not just let it like wash over me, Mm. not let my life just like rush away. Um, so those are the, so I really do think about it quite often and I encourage other people to really think about what do you want said about you? Mm. You know, like it's morbid, but it's also very freeing because Mm -hmm. you then realize, Oh, I have a lot of say Mm. in that. It's not some magic, again, it's not some magical mystery. It's you got to do the work. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's so good. I mean, thriving in a sense, as you're talking about, not just, not just being, but really thriving Yeah. first, but, you know, having, you know, having that impact and caring for those around you. 
I, I, mean, I get the sense just in talking to you and then from everything you've talked about with your book that I feel like you're definitely fulfilling that purpose in a lot of ways in a lot of people's lives. So definitely appreciate, appreciate you. Do you want to um, share about the new book at all? Is that, or is that, is that premature? Do you want to? Uh, yeah, it's a little secrets? early, but okay. I'm, but I'm very excited to, that I get to write another mm, book. Mm. That's very exciting to me. Mm. Yeah. Well said. Well, definitely appreciate you taking the time to share your journey with us. I'm impressed that you pulled some of that out of me too. I think that was well done. <laughs> uh, but you yeah, had just, you know, so much here. And I, I just really appreciate the realness and, you know, you talking through how you got to this point, what you're kind of trying to do to go through on a daily basis. And I think there's so many lessons that all of us can learn just in walking through this life with you, you know, vicariously through your book, um, through these engagements and things like that. So definitely appreciate you sharing and taking time to jump on the Addy Hour today. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. And thank you for such a, a thoughtful conversation and for sharing yourself because oh, yeah. I know that's not easy to really share. And yeah. I really appreciate that you did. Yeah, I appreciate you asking the question. All mm -hmm. right. Thanks so much, Tara. Thank you.